to Inside the Castle, the podcast that goes behind castle doors to have real conversations with real people about solving the nation's toughest challenges. I'm one of your hosts today, Angie Fryermuth. And I'm Aaron Snyder. Today's guests are Hunter Merritt, a social scientist at the Institute for Water Resources, and John Kucharski, research scientist at the Engineering Research and Development Center's Environmental Laboratory. Thank you both for joining us here today. Glad to be here. Thanks, Aaron. For today's episode, I'm really excited about this because we were talking about serious gaming and I felt like I was a serious gamer in college. So I was super pumped to see this, but I realized after I started reading that it's not the same type of gaming. So I'm not going to be able to reminisce about my college days. Really, I wanted to, to talk a little bit today about serious gaming, how we use this within the Corps of Engineers and what the benefits can be. And with our two guests here today, we have Hunter and John. I'd like the two of you to first start off and tell us a bit about yourself, your background, and how you are helping the Corps accomplish its mission. So, Hunter, let's start with you. All right. I appreciate the podcast and the ability to come and speak about this. I have to say I actually met the Corps through games. My previous employment was in the outdoor recreation and education field. I still actually teach uh, a college course in recreation, so I guess I have a uh, degree in play to, to some degree. I am a, a an avid outdoors person, and I was meeting the Corps through a ropes course that I was running on the campus, and the leadership development program came up and played games with me on uh, day one of their LDP, their leadership development program, and after about four years of serving as a contractor for the Corps in that role, I said, I want to join this team. I don't really know exactly what goes on, but I know that I like water, you like water, and everybody here is really, really smart. So I am glad to say that after 12 years of working for the Corps, started in 09 in public affairs and then moved to planning, I'm actually still playing games with the Corps, and that's great. Uh, a lot of team building and a lot of relationship building through play. I've met several folks uh, through that program, and I have had a lot of fun actually especially working with John, kind of finding ways that we can solve some complex problems by maybe taking a step back and playing with the problem versus kind of taking a position on it for real. So I think that the way that I meet the mission is uh, inserting some levity when it's necessary and also trying to connect the transferable learning outcomes of some of these uh, activities that would on the surface not have relevance, but actually are pretty emblematic of what we actually do in terms of solving problems together. So, John, that's how you met me, sort of through uh, playing some games a little bit, I think. Yeah, and we all uh, appreciate your levity, Hunter. My name's John Kucharski. I'm, I have a master's in economics from UC San Diego, and I'm partway through a PhD now in hydrology at UC Davis as well. I started my time at the Corps uh, in the Los Angeles district. A little bit later on, I was a RTS or regional technical specialist in Sacramento district, which is where I met Hunter. And then I managed uh, the HEC FDA uh, software program at the Hydrologic Engineering Center, or HEC in Davis for a few years. More recently, as, as you mentioned, Aaron, I've moved over to um, Erdick's Environmental Laboratory, where I lead a, a really broad array of R&D projects, which ranges from things like building tools to simulate long-term traces of weather, uh, providing analysis and decision support for planning under sources of deep uncertainty like climate change, applying system dynamics to things like the core's massive portfolio of long-room O&M responsibilities, and what we're talking about here today, uh, serious gaming for 
collaborative modeling, education, and empathy building, stuff like that. Thank you both for joining us today. And like Aaron, I was super excited because I have been in forums with Hunter where he's talked about gaming for collaboration. And I'm like, what is this? I need to know more about it. Can you just tell us what serious gaming is? Yeah, sure. It actually is, just like the name would suggest, serious. The idea of – the most simple definition of it is simply that it's it's playing – a game for some purpose other than just entertainment. So it is not just being really serious about the game that you're playing, which I think that gamers are often very serious about uh, winning whatever game it is they're playing. The name would suggest that, that if there is a purpose other than entertainment, such as if we're trying to build relationships or if we're trying to solve a problem or if we're trying to educate. I mean, playing a game is a great way. In fact, games are kind of what make us human and what make us mammals, and mammals play. And so I think the idea of uh, having the play mindset is advantageous, but then if you can take that mindset and move it into a space where how would you play this game and fail forward in a way that's safe so that you can feel better about taking the real leap forward in a real situation. And so some other ways that this has been couched, uh, you, you might have seen us use terms uh, applied learning environments. It's just much more adult term than, than, than a game. But a tabletop exercise, that isn't really happening, but it is simulating an emergency. And so the idea of playing through that scenario is sort of the definition of a serious game. Uh, John, I don't know if you have additions to that definition, but simply put, a serious game is something other than just a game for fun. Uh, and that can be a lot of different things. Yeah, I think Hunter's definition is a good one. I think we can add to it by saying that uh, the Army and the DOD has a long history here through serious gaming sort of fills a niche alongside other things like interactive simulations, which the war games that I think we're all sort of familiar with that term sort of fits alongside some of those sorts of scenarios, as well as gamification, which is just adding game-like aspects to tasks or projects. So, for instance, we could ask core employees or players to collect coins for filling out their timesheets and doing their trainings on time so that we can, you know, award the winner with 59 minutes off. That would be a way of gamifying sort of a, a really mundane task. So, serious games sort of fits within that, like, general realm of interactive simulations, gamifications, things like that. It's just a way of making us more productive and giving us a way to learn by doing. No, I, I think that's cool. And it's obviously, I think, like with the, the military connection with the Army Corps and war games, it's clear. But really, you're taking this to a different level, I feel like, when we're talking about relationships, education, and collaboration. It's more of a – the war games is a very physical-type activity, per se, but it seems like the stuff that you guys are working on is maybe a little bit more like – thinking and critical thinking based type activities. So a couple of questions here is you know, really how did you guys you know get introduced to this method of collaboration? And then how do you kind of focus on these games as it pertains to really the knowledge piece of it? And how how do you bridge that gap between the physical and knowledge components? I could start there maybe. So for me, uh, this all sort of started with a Silver Jackets program that Hunter and I both worked on together, uh, the goal of which was to build content for middle and high school classrooms that could simultaneously sort of fit into the existing curriculum that those classrooms have, uh, as well as communicating flood risk. 
I've been tinkering with some system dynamics software, and I had been doing some work with that software in Paycom in Asia. Um, and I knew from that experience that software could be very helpful in communicating some complex relationships between things like, say, precipitation and reservoir operations. But I needed a way to make it a little bit more engaging so that you could get 30 students to sort of sit down and engage with the content. What we ended up trying to do is, is create a serious game out of some of those models, and Hunter sort of helped out with, with some of that. I, I think I learned a lot in that very first attempt to create a game, both like lessons of, you know, what worked and definitely what not to do in the future as well. But soon afterwards, I started working with some colleagues at Deltaris in the Netherlands. They're a leader and sort of a global leader in the field of water resources, um, both from a practical and research and development perspective. And they have a few very innovative members of their staff that are dedicated full-time to building serious games for water resource projects. Talking with them really helped me conceptualize what it is we were trying to do uh, with that first game. I've learned a lot from them over time. I'll just interject to say that, like, I, I build a lot of incredibly complex things in my job for the core, things like stochastic weather generators and software programs from scratch. Building serious games is both one of the most rewarding and technically complex tasks for me because you're really trying to boil the complexities of life and the complexities of what we do inside the core and the things you try to do when you're solving water resource problems. Try to boil it down to just its essence, um, the things that are sort of most important, uh, the trigger points that sort of affect decision making. It's, it's sort of like modeling on steroids, and it's, it's, a, it's a really effective way of getting people to focus on the most important elements of a problem, be those like human elements or technical aspects of the problem. That's really like where a lot of the utility I think has been. Hunter comes at this from a different angle because he's oftentimes sort of facilitating um, the games, whereas I'm sort of in the background trying to build them. And so he may have some unique perspective here as well. Yeah, I'd say that the, I mean, there was a real convergence and there has been a series of convergences and divergences between John's work with modeling and my work with communication uh, and education and outreach. And I, I'll say I am not a modeler and I am very impressed with the folks that can delve into that and, and, and get those, those kinds of complex pieces mapped together. That initial uh, meeting that John was talking about with Silver Jackets, you know, again, was intended for uh, teachers to try to help students understand the complexities of computer modeling and, and, and coding and so forth. Where I saw that it went, where it went well was to help what John was saying is to, is to isolate the variables and try to get, get it into a digestible piece. And even as good as we did with that, it still was hard to digest. Um, and that just kind of points to the complexity of, of modeling. What happened after that for me was, hey, well, where, where we did get a few yards down the field on this uh, was good, and what do we need to do more is be more accessible. And what is more accessible than a model but is kind of reliant on the same framework is a video game. The next effort that went after that was, and maybe some of the audience that's listening is familiar with it, maybe you're not, and if you are not, we can uh, – we can encourage you to go to nevadafloods.org and download a game, otherwise known as an educational simulation, but really for all intents and purposes, it's a game. And the video game is putting a player in the position of water manager, having to manage 
rainfall coming down and a, a dam needs to release X amount of water out of so many gates and not so much that they overtop levees. Levees fail for several reasons, and those reasons are, are represented in the game. And there's only so much money you have to solve the problem, and there's only so many patrol trucks and repair trucks. Every time I've played this game, uh, and I've played it with audiences from fourth grade on through uh, adults, um, and I won't name names, but there were some higher-ups in our own organization that laughed and said that they failed their first try, and that's okay. You can fail in a game, and that's the beauty of it. The, the report back is, wow, it's really stressful. And I said, yeah, that's probably what flooding feels like, and now we can have a discussion. I guess I mentioned convergences and divergences because, you know, where we are trying to bring the complexity of our work to the people who don't necessarily understand it or haven't gotten a graduate degree in whatever field, whether it's engineering or computer science or so forth, if we can come together and play and then explain what it is we're playing and how it simulates reality and other ways that it doesn't, I think that it serves as a communication tool. For me, it's really exciting because when we play a game or we talk about building a game, as John and I are continually building games together, you know, I get to ask the questions that I would not ever ask because I wouldn't normally be in his sphere. But because we're playing a game and we're developing a game, I get to say, well, what happens if I do this? And what happens if you do that? And what are the three consequences of these three actions? And I think that that's a really nice way of entering into the space where we can have collaborative conversations and eventually, ideally, collaborative modeling if we can bring everybody up to speed. Yeah, I always like it when I hear core staff being innovative with their solution to problems that we have. And so kudos to both of you for, you know, taking the leap and trying something different within our agency. I'm curious as to when you started working um, with the gaming aspect of it, what were the biggest challenges transitioning to something like that as opposed to traditional ways of communicating and facilitating meetings? I'll say, first of all, the same thing we just started with, which is, what? Games? We're going to play games? I clock in and I go to work. I don't play games. So uh, I'd say kind of getting over the notion that games are somehow not productive uh, is a challenge, con continues to be a challenge, um, and then defining it for people as something that will be actually productive. And so sometimes, as, as I mentioned, you know, we have called it other things as a solution to that. The other challenge that I run into is when we do find the time or make the time or convince people to give their time to play a game, it's really important to identify if it's going to be a serious game and it's going to be moving them in the direction of some real problem to be solved, spending the right amount of time on the game and then stopping when you need to stop in order to move, it, to move the conversation to a real topic. You know, I could get together and play games all day, but what would that really help this group get there? So at the same time, I can't, pl I can't really do anything productive with three minutes. You know, somebody says, come in and play a game for three minutes. I can play a game, but it won't really have a lot of purchase power in moving conversations forward. Those have been my challenges. Uh, John, I don't know from your perspective where you've been challenged by it. Yeah, I mean, I'll probably echo some of those exact same things uh, that you just mentioned, Hunter. I think we talked a little bit about the challenges sort of I mentioned very briefly, the, the, like how interesting and challenging it can be to create a game. It does take sort of, you know, time and money. 
uh, it requires, you know, some resources. It's playing games can be, you know, relatively cheap. Uh, they, but like everything else, they get they get better with, you know, more time, thought, uh, process, and, and funding, and things like that. And we're at the very sort of very very beginning of this. I mean, serious games in a lot of ways is Hunter and I and friends right now in the core. So developing this as like a broader sort of strategy for dealing with collaborative problems and stuff like that. It's something that just, I think, deserves additional attention, uh, time and resources. So that's maybe one little challenge. But yeah, I definitely think the biggest barrier is getting people to accept that a game is a real thing, that you can both be effective and fun at the same time, and that, you know, it's an okay term to use in a workplace. And this, like, sort of resistance, I, I guess, to serious games comes maybe in two particular directions. One, and from leaders who are sort of resistant to the concept, sort of Hunter mentioned this mentality of, I don't play games, I, I clock in and go to work, or something like that. Um, even ones who sometimes see value in gaming, but want to rebrand it as something else because they're afraid of, you know, using a term that sounds like a little bit too much fun for the workplace. And then secondly, uh, and I have some experience here from players who maybe would like to run a game, but are sort of afraid uh, that the other like the other players who, who would be playing the game uh, would see it as like a frivolous waste of time. I mentioned, uh, I, I built a game through Paycom. Uh, I was building it for the Mekong River Commission. And the folks I was building it for, you can think of as sort of senior leaders from the, the home countries' governments who were advising their country's top diplomats on how to use the Mekong's resources and how they should be shared between Thailand, Laos, Vietnam, and Cambodia and even, you know, how China and Burma's interest in the Mekong should be considered. And we facilitated some workshops for them on conflict management and multi-objective decision-making. And I created a game, this is also one of these sort of early experiences that I had in, in creating a game. I created a game trying to illustrate some of the concepts and principles that we were teaching throughout the rest of the um, workshop. I got incredibly nervous in the days leading up to the workshop um, I started to have these thoughts like, I'm going to go ask these very busy, very busy, very important senior leaders to play my knockoff version of Monopoly. Like, what am I thinking here? You know, I just really thought like maybe I was crazy, but it was also too late to sort of back out at that moment. And I'll just say like, despite all that sort of fear and stress of like both creating the game and then leading up to it, imagining how it was going to go in this workshop, with these like very, very senior officials. Um, at the end of the day, the it was really one of the highlights of the entire experience in the workshop. I think every person down to the very last one saw, saw value um, and entertainment in the game. And I think many of them either thought differently about some of the challenges in the Mekong as a result of playing the game, or you know just made friendships with representatives from another country who might have been sitting across the table from them, which, you know, this is a diplomacy exercise that was, you know, very much a win, I think. So uh, I just want to encourage people to have the courage to maybe like sort of branch out and, and take on trying a game um, in an environment. I, I haven't seen one fail yet. I'm sure it could happen, but they're almost always a success. Yeah, John, and I, I've worked with you a little bit and been exposed to the, the, some of the serious game work, um, and I've been encouraged by, you know, what we've heard and what we've seen, and I think overseas experience there and those examples are really good and demonstrate the potential value of this and, and how we can bring some of those 
you know, examples home and apply them to the course portfolio of projects. And I, you know, what jumps out at me right away is watershed planning. Super complex with a lot of really strong personalities, different stakeholders that have completely, at least on paper, it looks like completely opposing views, but you can bring them together in this game environment and have them play and they can realize that they have a lot more in common than they ever thought they did. And I think you can get through that, you know, in our traditional process, we do these, you know, facilitated events and it's more of a meeting focus, but really if you make it a game and more fun, it's more engaging and people actually participate a little bit more and buy into it and pay more attention. So I see a tremendous value there, but could you comment on the applicability of gaming to the course portfolio and where you could see it having the most value as we move forward in development of this? Yeah, I, I think that one of the places that you just mentioned, uh, Aaron, is a, is a fantastic place, uh, watershed planning, and we're working on the development of some games there. I think that, you know, games have a lot of benefit. They allow us to practice dangerous activities in a, fa in a safe to fail environment. You know, you don't want somebody being trained on sort of how to operate a dam during an extremely damaging flood event. You don't want their first experience with that to be during an extremely flood event that has the potential to create a lot of damage. And games give us an opportunity to sort of test ourselves, to learn and to grow in those safe to fail environments. Uh, so I think it has a lot of applicability and training. I think, you know, a lot of people have used this, uh, including the military, using games sort of to help train soldiers or, or people just in other jobs as well. With respect to collaboration, you know, they, they offer an ability to make things feel realistic enough, but abstract far enough away from the problem, I think as you're mentioning, Aaron, to not be fraught with the same conflict that can permeate sort of real world experiences. So we can play with a scenario that includes realistic elements and the types of things that lead to conflict without having to address the exact conflicts directly. And this allows people to sort of work through some of those things in a place where there's not as much posturing and positioning involved. We can also slow games down and speed them up so that people get feedback as to like, you know, what happens when they take an action. So oftentimes, and you know, we work for the course, so we're all familiar with this. Oftentimes we don't see the fruits of our labor for many, many, many years out into the future. And in a game environment, you can make that like a little bit more immediate so that people can be rewarded for making good decisions. When they, you know, mess up and fail, like you're making it happen in an environment that's okay. And it also happens quickly enough that people can learn from the mistakes. Whereas, you know, oftentimes in the real world, you know, we might screw something up, but we don't sort of see what happens because of that for some years down the road, at which point sort of the, our memory and all the things that happen in between get in the way of our ability to learn from those mistakes. And then finally, we're able to, through games, allow people to switch roles. The project manager and the engineer on a project can be forced in a game to switch roles in, in a way that we probably wouldn't do it in real life. And that can be sort of an empathy building experience. Uh, we can also do it with different stakeholders and positions and things like watershed studies. We can ask a flood manager to try to mitigate a drought. We can ask a drought manager to try to prevent some flooding. They can learn a little bit about how their goals and objectives are intertwined together in ways that are, again, just a little bit more difficult to see out in the real world. So yeah, I think it has, I think it has application in planning. I think it has application in training. 
I think it has already demonstrated a lot of application in fields like emergency management. I think even in things like operations, really gaming is something that like, I think is sort of like a force multiplier. It just increases the value of an activity that you are already gonna undertake anyway. So in a lot of ways, where it can be applied is to, in, to some extent limitless. If our listeners are interested in learning more about serious gaming, where can they find more information or is there a way that they can get with both of you and, and start a revolution, serious gaming within the core? Yes, let's play yeah. a game called Join the Revolution. I'll make a couple mentions. John mentioned Deltaris, and, I, and, and I'll let him, you know, kind of mention that, that, that there are a lot of folks outside of the core that are also pursuing this. And a simple Google search on the topic of serious games will yield great results. But as far as the core is concerned, you know, we're, we're building a website at IWR in the Collaboration and Public Participation Center of Expertise website, uh, which is not hard to find. I'm sure that you're listeners can find that. Uh, and we're building a, a compendium of games that exist, games that could exist, efforts that are going on. And we're actually also developing some, uh, some pilot trainings. So if people are interested in maybe hosting a workshop at a district or, or in, a, in a lab um, and having a small group, folks that are willing to play and experiment with it, we are really, really excited about trying to bring in this out into the field. John, any other references? No, I think that's great, Hunter. I would just say that my group and I are focused on the development of serious games. So if people are interested in, you know, building one, they can contact me. Um, by contacting either Hunter and I, you're also accessing a group of very talented people who we collaborate with in these issues. Yeah, no, I think this is a really exciting area. And, you know, really I've been a firm believer always that you need to have fun at work. So, I mean, you know, if you're having fun at work, you're going to get a lot of stuff done, and this just seems like a way to bring it to a, another level. I think there's lots of application here, so I really thank you guys for being here today, and, and really thank you for taking this leap and pushing the, the core into a new realm of information. So I um, want to see you guys be successful here, so keep pushing, uh, keep doing what you're doing. But uh, ultimately, thank you for joining us here today for this edition of Inside the Castle. We appreciate you and your insights. To our listeners, we want to hear from you, what topics are important to you, and people you're interested in hearing from. Until next time, be safe, be innovative, and be revolutionary. To provide your feedback, email us at cw.infrastructure.team at usace.army.mil. Stay tuned for additional Inside the Castle podcasts as we explore life inside the core and revolutionize civil works together.